So we have two readings tonight. The first one is taken from Exodus 20, and we're going to be reading from verse 1 to 17. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And our second reading is taken from Matthew 5. And it's starting at verse 27. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right hand causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. This is God's word. Evening. Thanks, Wena. Evening, everybody. It's lovely to be with you tonight. My name's Matt Banks. I'm one of the assistant ministers here at Christchurch Mayfair. It's lovely to see some new faces with us. Um, in some sense, uh, perhaps I'm sorry if you've walked in tonight and this is your first time with us. We're going through the Ten Commandments and you walk in and the commandment is, you shall not commit adultery and you think, oh my goodness, the, the cliche is true, how stereotypical, yeah, Christianity is just about, thou shall not have fun, thou shall not enjoy yourself, thou shall be repressed. So I, I, I'm sorry if uh, you join us for the first time tonight and you get that immediate impression from the commandment that we are going to be studying tonight, you shall not commit adultery. But straight off the bat, let me try and persuade you and remind you that these laws, the the Ten Commandments, are given to God's people by a God who loves them. 
They are given to God's people by a God who is for them. They are given to God's people by a God who has rescued them out of slavery and who's not about to try and put them back into slavery by giving them laws that repress them. In fact, actually, I mean, we've been in the book of Exodus a lot this term, but you'll know that the Ten Commandments are repeated in the book of Deuteronomy. And there, at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, God says, after, after the Ten Commandments, he says, choose life. The Ten Commandments are given by a God who loves his people and wants life for them and says, choose life. So if you hear that commandment, you shall not commit adultery, and you hear it as choose sexual repression, then let me try and persuade you this evening that's not what it's about. If you hear that commandment, you shall not commit adultery, and you hear it as choose pain, as I'm sure, as I know, there are some here tonight who have suffered the results of adultery and we all know that those scars linger that pain remains God's God's not here tonight to sort of reopen old wounds if you hear that commandment you shall not commit adultery and you hear choose guilt from past mistakes again please let me try and persuade you God's intention is not to load pain or guilt on you this evening no adultery could not be more serious but by the end of this evening we're going to see that the God who speaks that command you shall not commit adultery is the God who knows what it is to have adultery committed against him and he is the God who knows how to forgive adulterous people he's the God who knows how to forgive adulterers so tonight as we hear that command, you shall not commit adultery, let me, let me persuade you, this is a command that God gives us in the framework of choosing life, choosing what is good for us. Before we, um, before we get on with that, let, perhaps it's worth trying to define actually what adultery is. Now I think uh, on the back of your handouts you've got a, you've got a, you've got a sermon outline just kind of to keep us awake. It is pretty hot in here. It is a little bit simplistic, but I've left some blanks for you to fill in, okay? So you can either, whatever you think will help you stay awake most, either picking up the pen in front of you and trying to fill in these blanks or jabbing yourself in the face with it to stay awake. Whatever will help you stay awake most, I'm, I'm not particularly fussy. But uh, I think it is worth defining what adultery is. You, you may think that's a little bit overkill, but I think it is worth being precise, So when you take all of the Bible's teaching, I think the Bible would put it like this. Adultery is any sexual activity that violates the sanctity of your or someone else's marriage. Adultery is any sexual activity that violates the sanctity of your or someone else's marriage. So actually, it is worth pausing and saying that strictly speaking, adultery isn't just shorthand for general sexual immorality. Now look, let's be clear. God could not be clearer 
that sexual immorality is deadly serious. God could not be clearer that that any sexual activity outside the union of marriage is not life as he intends it. So, of course, it, it would be wrong for two unmarried people to sleep together. But strictly speaking, actually, that wouldn't be adultery in the, in the precise sense because, because neither are married. The Bible would call that, as we've said, sexual immorality or sensuality or, you know, as you, you hear in the old translation sometimes, fornication. And in, in that general sense, the Bible would say very clearly, flee, flee all forms of sexual immorality. I take it most of us know that. I take it most of us know that God says flee sexual immorality. If you are sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend or fiancé, I hate to be so blunt, but it, but it does matter. It, it really does matter. The person or the couple who are doing that and who are unrepentant cannot expect to inherit eternal life. But this evening I do want to focus specifically on adultery in the narrow sense. And I'll hopefully explain why in a moment. So again, adultery is any sexual activity that violates the sanctity of your or someone else's marriage. So again, sorry to be uh, just to spell it out, obviously. But so if I was to have sexual relations with someone other than Megan, my wife, I would be committing adultery with that other woman against Megan. And I would be violating the sanctity of mine and Megan's marriage. And if that other woman was married, she would be committing adultery with me against her husband and she would be violating the sanctity of her and her husband's marriage. And the Bible is very clear that adultery is deadly serious. There's a, there's a verse up here from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 22. If a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. You must purge the evil from Israel. Now look, we're, we're not under the laws from Exodus or Deuteronomy in exactly the same way. We're, we're not. But the very fact that God, who is the same now as he was then, can have something like that written in his word, must make us sit up and take note that adultery is incredibly serious. And of course, from the, the reading we had from Wenner in Matthew 5, the New Testament is no less serious about adultery. In the context of adultery, listen to what Jesus says. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go to hell. Speaking metaphorically, Jesus is saying that if, if it worked like this, it would be better to cut off parts of your body 
if that would stop you committing adultery and going to hell. And of course, Jesus here is explaining the full intent of the law in Exodus. As he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So to spell out the obvious, if you are a married man and you see an attractive woman, or I suppose another man, and your thoughts go beyond, she's good looking to I'd like to whatever, then you have already violated the sanctity of your own marriage and committed adultery in your heart. And the trajectory of your heart would be to commit actual adultery. If you're a married woman and you see an attractive man and your thoughts go beyond, he's attractive, to I wish my husband was a bit more whatever, then you have already violated the sanctity of your marriage and committed adultery in your heart. And the trajectory of your heart is towards actual physical adultery. Adultery is any sexual activity, including in the mind, that violates the sanctity of your or someone else's marriage. But why is adultery such a problem? Why, why am I focusing on adultery rather than the, rather than the bigger uh, category of sexual immorality? Well, I think it's this. Same as, same as last week, the commandment, you shall not murder, is so important because life is so wonderful. The commandment, you shall not commit adultery, is so important because marriage is so wonderful. And hence the next two points on the sheet. See, adultery is serious because marriage is wonderfully exclusive. Adultery is serious because marriage is wonderfully exclusive. Marriage isn't the best way to live your life. Absolutely not. The Apostle Paul is clear that those who are not married have more time to serve him. I don't know of any married couple who don't at some point think it may have been better not to get married. Marriage is, marriage is not easy. It's not, it's not always plain sailing. But adultery is serious because marriage is wonderfully exclusive. What is marriage? Well, marriage is a covenant between one man and one woman, a solemn, binding, lifelong covenant with each other that can only be dissolved by death or biblically valid divorce. See, it's worth pointing out that in the first instance, marriage is is not, first and foremost, a human institution. It's not, first and foremost, a cultural invention. It's not a human construct. Marriage is something that God created and has hardwired into creation. Society may indeed mislabel other things as marriage, but that does not make them marriage. Anything that is not a solemn, binding, lifelong covenant between one man and one woman is not marriage. When a man and a woman make their marriage promises to each other, they're making a covenant with each other for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others till death do us part. 
See, again, contrary to how marriage begins to be viewed in society these days, it's not just a legal agreement that lasts just for as long as it's convenient to both parties. Uh, we are in mysterious territory here, but the Bible teaches that as a, as a man and a woman make those promises to each other, somehow God joins them together. Let's have a look at this verse Verses from Matthew 19. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together let not man separate. You see and it is within this mysterious covenantal union and only within this covenantal union in which husband and wife promise to share all that they have, that sex is to be pursued and enjoyed. You see, the Bible assumes that the act of sexual intercourse unites a man and a woman together. You see, and it's that act of sexual intercourse that both expresses the covenantal union and cements it. tell me whether you agree with this afterwards but I think the Bible would say strictly speaking that that while we all have sexual desires it is not individuals who who need sex but only marriages strictly speaking it is marriages that need sex not individuals see the joy the intimacy the vulnerability of sexual union between a man and a woman is always to be specific and exclusive and precious to that covenant union between that husband and wife. And so the writer to the Hebrews says, marriage should be honoured by all and the marriage bed kept pure. Adultery then, as one writer puts it, is treason against the covenant of marriage. Even a lustful look at another person is a corrosive violation of that most exclusive of bonds between a man and a wife. Adultery is serious because marriage is wonderfully exclusive. Adultery is serious because marriage is wonderfully public. You see, in all cultures, as as far as I'm aware, again, tell me if I'm wrong afterwards, a marriage ceremony is a public affair. As to say, it's not just enough for two people in private to say, will you marry me? Yes, will you marry me? Yes, and you're done. As anyone who's engaged or got married recently, you kind of wish it was that simple, don't you, sometimes? It would certainly certainly save a lot of wedmen. But no, in all cultures, as far as I know, marriage... The marriage ceremony is a public affair. Whether it's, you know, whether it's a big, lavish thing or a small, intimate thing, at the very least, there will, it, will have been bands read or a notice of a coming marriage displayed. There will be, at least be a handful of close family and friends to act as witnesses. There will at least be an officer of the state, whether the minister or the registrar. All of which, uh, of course, is indicative that marriage, whilst being wonderfully exclusive... Is also a public affair. See, and that's why it says in, in Genesis, for this reason a man will leave 
his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. See, when a man and woman say, I do, a new family unit in society is created. And obviously, there are wonderful exceptions and I'm not here to cast aspersions on anyone. But it is generally recognized by religious and secular commentators alike that the family unit of a husband and wife provides the building blocks for a more stable society. So the leader in the Times uh, last year in April began by noting this. Increasing evidence shows that marriage is good for the two people it joins together and good for society. The wedding ceremony, its public vows and the involvement of other people in the relationship help to explain why marriages tend to endure longer and provide more stability for children. All of which is to say, again, that that's why adultery is so serious, why it's so painful. Because it hurts and damages not just you, not just your spouse, not just your marriage, not just the marriage of the person you commit adultery with, but often children where they are involved, parents, friendships, and therefore it affects wider society. Megan and I have seen all those effects, sadly, because of adultery in our wider family. In the moment of temptation, when we, when we countenance adultery, even if it's just in our fantasies, what we're doing is essentially putting our own cravings beyond the good of others, which you don't need me to tell you is the complete antithesis of what it means to be a Christian. Adultery is so serious because marriage is wonderfully exclusive. Adultery is so serious because marriage is wonderfully public. So obviously, flee adultery and cherish marriage. If you are married, flee adultery. I, I don't know. There may, be, there may be a person here who... Is on, is on the cusp of committing actual adultery. And God says, do not do it. Don't go for that drink. Cancel that business trip if you need to. Flee actual adultery and flee adultery in our fantasies, in our hearts. Flee the website, flee the glance at the billboard or the jogger in the park. Flee, flee the fantasy about the more understanding spouse. See, because if we're married, with every such imagining, we trample underfoot the precious covenant with our spouse. Now look, I'm, I know, I, uh, I, I reckon not more than half of us here tonight are married. I'm, I'm, aware, I'm well aware that I'm speaking to many people who are not married but of course, the, uh, the actions and the attitudes of the heart that would inoculate your marriage if you were to get married at some point, those attitudes, those actions can, of course, begun to be practiced now, can't they? So look, uh, the, single, the single person who indulges in pornography and thinks, oh, well, it, it's only fair, I'll, I'll, I'll stop when I get married... Well, you won't, you won't find it easy to be mentally or actually faithful to your spouse 
if you're used to, to looking at other people that way now. The, the person who's not married but is happy to objectify members of the opposite sex or enjoys being objectified by members of the opposite sex now, won't, you won't find that easy just to stop if you get married. So the attitudes, the actions that would inoculate your marriage if you were to get married, you, you can start practicing them now, of course. And those are good things for all of us to do. The flip side of this, I suppose, if I can, if I can say it without, without anybody blushing, for those of us who are married, enjoy the sexual side of it. Cultivate it. Those who, those who are not married think, oh my gosh, how could, you, how could you not do that? It must be awesome to have sex all the time. But those of us who are married know that, like anything, it takes effort. It takes work. It takes, <laughs> you won't believe it, it takes planning in your diary. Those of us who are married will know that. So if I can say it without blushing, give time, give energy to it. Proverbs 5 speaks in a barely veiled euphemism about this. Proverbs 5, why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. That's a few thoughts in terms of our own personal sexual activity. But before, before we move on to our final point, uh, what are, what are, I wonder what we're to make of adultery in wider society. Uh, I'll just put it out there. For me, uh, it, affect, it affects the kind of films I'd watch. So I, I wouldn't be happy watching a film in which the main plot saw you kind of rooting for an adultery to happen. I, just, I don't know how... You could root for adultery, even if it's on film, if it's so serious. Um, as I prepared this sermon, it's made, me, it's made me realize, actually, just how much adultery is kind of dressed up when we read about it in the papers or on TV. How many euphemisms are used for adultery? Oh, he had an affair. She had a fling. It was a bit on the side. And I thought, actually, whenever I hear that on TV or read it in print or whatever, it's actually worth re-articulating it to yourself. No, it's not an affair. It's adultery. It tramples the covenant of marriage and it damages society. She's not his lover. She's an adulteress. It's adultery. It hurts wider society. It'd be worth re-articulating it to ourselves so that we don't become desensitized to it. Flee adultery and cherish marriage. But as we finish, I want to raise our gaze to God. So I'd, want, I'd want no one who recognizes that they need forgiveness in this area to, to leave without coming to God for that forgiveness. That would be awful. I'd want no one who thinks they don't need forgiveness in this area to leave feeling proud and self-righteous. And I'd want none of us who struggle in this area generally, which I take it is everyone, to leave without the motivation to keep battling.
because you see our final point is this God is our supreme example of a faithful spouse because here's the shocking truth the Bible says that all sin not just sexual sin if you're married with another married person is adultery the Bible says all sin is adultery against God so look James chapter 4 You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? You adulterous people. Therefore, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously, jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? See, throughout the Bible, God is pictured as a loving husband who, as we've seen many times in Exodus, himself enters into an exclusive covenant relationship with his people. A covenant relationship in which he promises to love and cherish and provide for his people. A covenant relationship in which he pledges himself unreservedly towards us. And which, like marriage, demands complete loyalty and faithfulness on our part. But yeah, how often do we chase after a bid on the side. Well, very often. Whenever our eyes wander to other things as our ultimate source of joy, whenever we trust in other things for our ultimate security, whenever we devote ourselves to other things to the detriment of our relationship with the Lord, we commit adultery against God. As one writer put it, whenever we sin, we can think of it as marital unfaithfulness. And we should think of it that way better to understand our radical need of forgiveness from our heavenly husband. So even if you're here tonight and you don't find it a battle to remain sexually faithful to your spouse or to remain sexually pure in general, don't don't feel proud. All sin is adultery against God. But for those of us who have fallen in this area, Here is the good news of Christianity. The same God who says you shall not commit adultery is the God who knows what it is to forgive spiritually adulterous people. He is the God who is willing to forgive all sin, even actual adultery, if any would come to him for that forgiveness. And more than that, the same God who says you shall not commit adultery is the same God who knows what it is to remain faithful to the covenant promises and to pursue his adulterous people even in the face of their adultery. As Larry read from us from the top of our sheets at the beginning, the church, we the church, is Christ's bride. And through all our wanderings away from him, he remains faithful to us. It is as we look at Christ's unwavering faithfulness to us that we will be men and women who are faithful to our spouses who flee sexual immorality and who flee all adultery against our heavenly father let's pray Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for the institution of marriage. We thank you for that good gift 
in creation. Father, all of us who are married ask for your help not to be adulterers. All of us who are married ask for your help to be faithful to our spouses and to enjoy the exclusive covenant union with them. All of us here tonight, Heavenly Father, ask your forgiveness for the way that we have failed to be sexually pure. All of us here tonight, Heavenly Father, ask your forgiveness for the ways that we have committed adultery against you by looking for a bit on the side, spiritually speaking. All of us here tonight, Heavenly Father, rejoice that you are the kind of God who is faithful even to adulterous people like us. All of us here tonight love you, our faithful husband, for your kindness to us. Amen.